Hey, all right, this is Tim Crisp, and you're listening to Road to the Skeleton Coast with Brendan Kelly. Brendan, what's going on, Bubba? How are you? I am okay, man. I'm, uh, you know, just getting ready for 4th of July. I want to celebrate by not wearing a mask, blowing off a couple fingers, um, stuffing myself into a pool at the Ozarks. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think I literally am going to the Ozarks uh, as early as tomorrow, so... Uh, back to the Ozarks. <laughs> Didn't have your fill two weeks ago. I, I know. I don't even think it was two weeks ago. It seems like it was yesterday that I dro- we drove home. But you know, it's only it's only a nine hour drive each way. Who cares? <laughs> it's great. <laughs> well, I'm stoked to talk this week about the first Lawrence Arms record, a guided tour of Chicago. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. Listen to you baby boys back in 1999? Yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was 1999 when the record came out, but you know, the record was probably conceptualized at least in like 1998, you know, cuz uh Yeah. Take a second to get that out there. Back in that in that in those days, they had Pony Express that shit across the country, you know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um it was uh a lot of fun finishing up that slapstick saga last week. It was really cool hearing from a lot of you about how much you all enjoyed that part of Brennan's story, but I mean what I heard most was wow, Tim. That's amazing that you are also best friends with Chris. <laughs> That's right. That's right. They they love each other. You can't get you can't you can't can't separate these two with the crowbar. You know what I'm saying? It's the great thing about being like super annoying is that you can just like email Chris McGoggin a bunch of times and be like, please come on, <laughs> please come on the show. Well, yeah, I think um, yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome that Chris was here. Um, I think he did a good job. I think we all. We all see where the real talent in this whole organization lies, and that's with Tim. Um, <laughs> he can, he's he's as, and the handsomeness he, too. He's as at home with Chris <laughs> as he is with with me. You know, he makes him kind of a real Neil in that regard. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, Tim and Neil add, like will actually explode if they're ever in the same room. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We'll both buy. We'll both die in bizarre gardening accidents. That's right. This will actually be a, a lot of fun because this episode will be really uh, the first time in a while where I can finally talk to my dad after this episode comes out, and he can shut his mouth about asking each time, "Are you ever going to talk about Neil Bar?" Well, yeah, Dad. We're going to do that this week. <laughs> wow. So pretty involved dad you got there. Uh, <laughs> more than anything, that's what I take away from that. He supports me, and I support him. And uh, my dad, like many others, have uh, have provided five-star ratings for this podcast and um, reviews, and uh, they've all told their friends, like, hey, you got to subscribe to Road to the Skeleton Coast. There's this dude Tim, and he's so awesome. And uh, and then that guy Brendan Kelly, he he was on Tim's podcast a long time ago. Yeah, he's back. That's right. 
I'm back, baby. <laughs> uh, we have a Patreon. It is patreon.com slash better sandwich. And we have so much fun over there. We get to share some extra bits of audio from the slapstick story that didn't make it into the feed because three hours just ain't long enough for us to talk when we're talking. We also had a very, very fun conversation with one of the most underrated drummers in the history of punk and punk adjacent music, Mr. Rob Kellenberger. That's right. And, um, you know, he, uh, what's funny is he, he actually, you know, said he was going to come on and correct me about a bunch of things that were wrong. And then all he said was that, um, that I was the second choice of singers in slapstick, which, um, that I, I don't really think I, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to sound like defensive about this cause I don't care like one way or the other, but I don't think I was like wrong about that. I just didn't know, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's fine. <laughs> um, but then he did also Rob told, um, Pat Ford who sings in Colossal, who was in flowers with Danny back in the day. Mm-hmm. To listen to the podcast, and Pat Ford said, "Like, well, I relented and I listened to your podcast." And Pat Ford straight up came up and was like, "You're wrong about the, the following things." Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so, <laughs> so in a way, even though Robbie's big correction, his he had two corrections for me. One was, "You were the second choice of singers in slapstick," to which I say. Yeah, I just didn't know that. I mean, like, I don't think I said I was the first choice. Uh, And secondly, Mm -hmm. Carl just went away to school. We never kicked him out. But maybe Matt did. (laughs) But then, (laughs) but then, but then he told Pat Ford to listen. And then then Pat Ford was like, Banter Records was started by Matt Fallomley, the brother of Mike Fallomley, who played who uh played bass in Tommy Rot, I believe. Um, I just had a I was wrong. I said Bill Baldwin, who's a guitar player. It was Matt who started Banter Records. Um, mm-hmm. And then, oh, he, he had he had a few more things that that he was telling me. But the, he closed out with Carl Henkelman was my doubles partner uh, on the Elgin tennis team. Uh, so <laughs> there was a time <laughs> when, uh, like the um, like the the CIA fixer Carl Henkelman and colossal singer pat ford um you, you could have played them in doubles tennis if you were in high school at the right time which is cool well i had the distinct pleasure of being able to send pat ford a message over patreon to say oh my god this is the coolest thing you and rob contribute to a patreon that i am attached to uh amazing uh you're the best both of you and uh also shout out to uh to pat for giving our podcast a shout out on the best midwestern podcast they just did a really cool retrospective of colossal that everybody took part in uh recommended listening for everyone out there after you're done listening to road to the skeleton coast best in the biz baby brendan yo i would love to start us off this week by talking about the way we finished last week where you left slapstick and you left with dan hannaway and you two started the broadways 
And the lead into the story that we're talking about this week is that you and Chris left the Broadways. Yeah, man, that is correct. Um, there was a lot of things that went into why the Broadways wasn't that fun to be in for very long. I think uh, when we did the Broken Star episode of this, I, I told you how much fun it was at first because we were all so positive that we were doing like the best thing that could ever be done and that we were all going to be the best in our respective uh, lanes and come together as this like... I don't know, some sort of, like, combination between, like, bad religion and 15 and propaganda and, like, you know, like, just the most ultimate political punk band of all time. You know, Crass. Crass 2. Um, yeah. Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> We're still not saying Boogaloo, right? Uh, <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> All the boogaloo apologists out uh, there need to take a hike. I don't know if the term boogaloo apologist, I don't know what that actually means, but uh, we know that it uh, <laughs> that is to see electric boogaloo. Oh, God damn it. Now I have to go through this again. But uh, so we talk about this on Patreon. Um, uh, electric boogaloo was the um, the subtitle of the movie Break Into, which, uh, like I said on the Patreon, is essentially like the karate kid, but with break dancing instead of uh, karate. Right. And um since Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo came along, um, a lot of, like, really dumb racists have started, for some reason, co-opting the term Boogaloo to mean uh, the impending race war that is uh, obviously about to start mm -hmm. at any second now, which to me seems like a weird word to use since it was, like, this, like, multicultural inner-city movie about <laughs> breakdancing. Um, I... And you can tell me that they have nothing to do with each other. Um, you can tell me, and this I think is probably very possible. I don't know that the race war term for Boogaloo was around before uh, Breaking Two Electric Boogaloo, but that makes mm -hmm. that title a zillion times funnier. Uh, were they talking about? <laughs> were they like trying to pull an Electric Boogaloo? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> that that movie has some serious fucking undertones that I did not anticipate if that if if it went that direction. <laughs> um, but anyway, so well, it would have been really confusing if they called it Karate Kid Two. So it just makes sense to just go with the subtitle. Oh yeah, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> yeah, no. The Electric Boogaloo Boys. I just want you to know, Brendan, though, that, like, I'll take care of this in post, but since, like, that was something that we talked about on the Patreon, I just ran uh, a censored beep over the entire past two minutes that we talked just because I don't want to give any content away. If anybody wants to hear us talk more about what uh, Brendan and I talked about on the Patreon, um, it's really awesome, and you can go to patreon.com slash better sandwich, and uh, you can hear it. That's good. But anyway, you and Chris. Yeah. So we thought we were going to be, you know, like crass too, like I said. And um, we weren't. As a matter of fact, nobody liked our brand at all. And as a matter of fact, um, you know, this is funny. This is very relevant today. I think the very egalitarian nature of what we were trying to do, where everybody could just write and sing at their own pace and do what they want, and like we'd all be like equals under the Lord or whatever. Um, there were some like real like talent discrepancies that led to some real like uh 
fucking weird vibes at a certain point. And like, you know, Dan, mm-hmm. Dan is, uh, it's hard for me to say now because like Dan is so kind and so smart and like, he's like a loving dad and he owns like a wonderful community focused restaurant. And like, every time I see him, it's just like mm-hmm. one of my favorite things in the world, but he can also be a mean son of a bitch, man. And, uh, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, we played a show with Baxter actually, which was Neil's uh-huh. old band with Tim McGrath from rise against in it as well. Um, we played, we played a show in, um, in a weird library on the Chicago university of Chicago campus. Right. Um, Oh, okay. Cool. And, um, and dance spit on me on stage. And I don't remember uh-huh. why. I don't even remember if there is a, what was a why, you know, uh-huh. just like the, uh, the internal relationship had just gotten so poisoned by that point. Um, yeah. You know, like it just wasn't good. And I really don't think it, well, I mean, when we stopped being in a band together, we became best friends again immediately, you know? So there mm-hmm. was something, there was something like poisoning the, the air or poisoning the water, whatever you want to say. Um, but, uh, he spit on me and I was like, that's my last Broadway show. There's no fucking way I'm doing this again. Like, you're not going to fucking wow. spit on me on stage. It's mm-hmm. fucking insane. You know? And so yeah. we're like at the house and Chris is like, dude, seriously, you're like, like we had another show booked for like the next day or whatever. And I was like, no, no fucking way. He's like, well, you should at least call him and tell him that you're not going. I'm like, no, they can fuck themselves. I don't care. Um, and this really had nothing to do with Rob. And it really didn't have, like, I mean, I mean, Dan did spit on me. That is bad. Um, but uh, it was more just like a powder keg, and that's how it went off. You know, like, I don't, Yeah. I think at the time I was just so angry, and I also kind of needed a button to push to eject, you know? Yep. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, and so I, I think I, I kind of just took it, and I took it as, like, being, like, super indignant. Even though, like, whatever. I mean, I get it. It's like, you know, we're a bunch of, like, young, bunch of, you know, rowdy young bulls packed into one pen. Of course, there's going to be some horns hitting here and there, whatever you want to say, cowboy. Mm -hmm. You know, but like, uh, (laughs) but like the, um, sorry, I was just making sure I'm still recording, which I am, by the way. Um, Fantastic. How those levels looking this week? um, Yeah, I I I don't know. 69 they're all at 69 <laughs> um <laughs> so um so then fucking and then chris ends up on the phone with dan and he's just like hold on i don't know and he's like you're not gonna do this and i'm like no i'm not um but i'm like i'm not trying to tell you what to do you do whatever you want and he's and yeah. chris was like and you could just see how fucking furious he was to be in this position, which he, mm-hmm. you know, like Taurus, uh, he was just like, you know, that if it comes down to like, which side of this thing I'm on, I'm on your side, dude. And, but kind of like, but I don't want to mm-hmm. be, but I am like, you know. You're my guy. Yeah. We've grown up together. There's no way I cannot be on your side here. 
but seriously, fuck you for making this be a side. You know, like this kind of the yeah the way wow. that I think that it was, which I think is a very respectable thing. I mean, there's a reason that we've mm-hmm. been friends for a very long time, and not the least of which are reasons like Chris will do things like this. And you know, I don't. I mean, mm-hmm. and I do have a memory that I didn't think I would be upset if Chris had stayed in the Broadways. You know, like um, yeah. I like I don't remember being like you don't you dare go over there. I think it was more kind of like, dude, I'm just done. You know, you do whatever you like. Yeah, I, I, and I really, yeah, I really think my memory right now is my memory right now is that I meant that. Um, you know, um, mm-hmm. who knows? Who who knows if that's true? Do you have something you would like to ask, Tim? Um, I hate to interrupt, but. <laughs> Um, I think that Chris, it's, it's an interesting position for Chris because to me, the whole situation, it sounds like everybody really is aware of the dynamics. And my guess is that Rob and Dan know that it's going to be the two of them and it's going to be you and Chris in a, like, I think pretty aware space of, the way Chris is attached to you and, you know, I don't know, I don't know Rob too well. Um, and, and I don't want to like, I don't want to just like copy and paste what Rob is to Dan, but I think there's probably an understanding from Rob and Dan's side that Chris is going to be on your side. He's not as hot as you are about all of this, but if Chris plays this show with them as a three piece, that would just kind of suck. I don't think anybody would feel great about it. I don't think that they would make Chris feel worse about it, but it would it would be difficult for Chris to just like go there w- with the intention of like I'm doing this to like, you know, as an extension towards y'all um you know where I'm going after this. It would, it probably just sucked for everyone and nobody wanted to deal. Yeah. I think that's a very good way. I think that's a very good way to put it. And I think from what I've heard that show, I guess, um, I think they played a lot of songs that would go on to be honor system songs, actually. Like, cause the two of them were like working on stuff that, that I didn't know about. And, um, I also think that it was a very bad show. I think that like Dan, like kind of like freaked out on stage or something. Uh, so I don't know if we've never talked about this and it's funny that we are talking about it now, but that there's a YouTube video of that show. It's in normal Illinois. It's a two piece Broadway's and uh, it's really awkward. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I've never, I've, I've never seen it. I've probably watched it today. Um, yeah. Make it feel kind of weird, but at the same time, like I, it sounds to me like the situation that you're in with Dan, it's kind of like I it made me think of one of my best friends, um, my boy Matt Nusko. Um Matt and I are, are great friends. We've known each other for ten years. We lived together for about nine months and we wanted to kill each other. And we stopped living together and we didn't want to kill each other anymore. You know, it's just how certain relationships go, whether it's uh, bandmates, roommates, there are friendships that don't 
translate to all facets of like you know relationship yeah true and and like um i think that's definitely what was up the thing that's funny is that like dan and i were in a band together before and that worked out really great and um you know so it seemed a little but there's a big difference between meeting your wife in vegas and you know winning big money at the craps table and then moving your wife that was a stranger two days ago into your mansion Mm -hmm. and having a great time in that mansion and then moving to a small shack (laughs) when all the money runs out and then still having that same kind of relationship and that was like the slapstick broadway's paradigm summed up in a gambling metaphor um (laughs) you know i mean you talk about you talk about crass like that band did live in a shack together but they figured it out because (laughs) it was like i mean so i i know that you um you have spoken so kindly of of dan as a person and you have also been very vocal about the fact that the talent discrepancy was dan having more and i when we talked about the broadways you know i i kind of i kind of joshed you a bit um about that as we were talking about the songs um i I didn't like listening back to that episode. I thought that I was teasing you a little bit too much. But um, anyway, uh, the you're coming in with this energy that's like you're leaving slapstick and you're leaving slapstick very empowered and, and sure of yourself and your own capabilities. And then um, also with all that vinegar that you've got and then it's not it's not an easy thing to handle i think when somebody who's part of a creative partnership with you is um you know more creatively fruitful yeah I, i'm sure that you're probably relating to like our podcast very much when i'm talking about this yeah, yeah I, don't know. I, I am i am very much so um the the thing is that um yeah you know that had a lot to do with everything um dan is a dan's a creative force man and he's just like a he's just like an intimidating presence to be around in general um you you can like really like strap in or get the fuck out of his way you know um and 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 that's Mm -hmm. and those are kind of your choices and um you know whatever i've talked about this a lot it's like he was really great in the broadways and he wrote he wrote all the best songs in my opinion and uh and then I became worse and worse and worse and started like, it was just like some typical like fucking relationship shit, you know, where like, um, on mm-hmm. one hand, like where I'm just like, oh, I'm like, I don't even like myself cause I'm not doing well in this, which makes me do worse in it. You know, just like that kind of spiral thing. Mm-hmm. And so I just had to get out, man, you know, um, and the spitting on me in the library of the university of Chicago show with Baxter just happened to be the catalyst that I needed at that time. Yeah, totally. Totally. seems like, you know, when you're friends with uh, someone and you, you start hitting each other and then you start hitting each other harder and it just becomes personal. It sounds like no matter, no matter what um, the actual action was and spitting on spitting on you, um, it's pretty easy to interpret it as say, uh, as an aggression 
Um, and maybe he was just trying to be, uh, he was trying to be even more like Crass. I'm sure that they loved spitting on each other. Yeah. Well, I mean, like the thing is like the, I just picked Crass as like sort of a, a standard bearer. Uh, we weren't even really into Crass. Um, you know, like, uh, at least I wasn't, um, mm-hmm. maybe Dan knows every song by Crass. I mean, it wouldn't totally shock me if he was like, what do you mean? I was listening to Crass constantly, but, um, Mm-hmm. No, we 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 had like, I think, we had the the nine twenty four Gilman, um, shit that that was what we were listening to. You know, like it was all of that like mm-hmm. fifteen Crim Shrine, Operation Ivy, that kind of stuff. That totally espoused, you know, and like propaganda and stuff like that. We were like listening to a lot of anarcho bands, but we. We're product of the time we're from, man, you know, and the place we're from. We're from the Midwest, and, um, you know, we grew up in the 90s, so it's like that was the stuff that we had access to. Um, I think, I think like – Totally, like, totally. Like, uh, you know, crass is cool. I like crass now, but uh, – mm-hmm. you know, And I like the subhumans, and I like, I like all that kind of shit, but, like, you don't have to have listened to that to have become, like, radicalized. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there's a, there's like a great um, fallacy in punk rock. that's like, oh, we're just listening to the band that came after the actual band, you know? And like, so therefore mm-hmm. you are not as good at listening to this and understanding the conceptualization of what they were trying to manifest uh, as I am, because I was there. You know, I was there for propaganda, and you didn't come along till Wilhelm scream. So you have no idea what's going on with like progressive thrash, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like, mm-hmm. and it's yeah, like, definitely. But like, but but the thing is, like, you know, for propaganda, it's like, you, what? Who are you going to back up? Who are you going to back up against? You're going to back up against like fucking on the thrash side, like you're like sacrifice and shit like that. And then like on the other side, like no means no, mm-hmm. you know. And then it's like, oh, oh so mm-hmm. you weren't around for no means no. And it's like, no, you know, there's a certain point where it's like, yeah, okay, so you listen to Elvis, so you know, <laughs> so you know more about it. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay. Oh, right. you listen to Elvis? You listen to the white guy that stole black music? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, cool. So I I think you know when I when I use Crass and Crass is actually um I've been very aided by our friend David Anthony in um. Uh, in reigniting a a passion for uh, crass itself, but you know, I, I'm using crass a little bit more as just like a like a a concept of a like anarcho punk model that I think definitely influenced Gilman Street, and that doesn't take away from um, you know the integrity of the Broadways in any way. Uh, it's just how influence works. I think that yeah. the um, the closer things are the ones that make a little bit more sense because they're a little bit more pertinent. Yeah, and I mean, it's just... I don't know. I mean, uh, who really cares? What I'm saying is I don't know that crass spit on each other, and I don't know that Dan <laughs> knows about that either. Um, totally. You know, that was the main thing. Mm-hmm. So... Um, it does it does end and chris um you know follows through with his uh being there for you did um did you take some time to kind of cool off both of you or did you get sort of right into um 
what would become the Lawrence Arms? Um, no, there was a long time where not only did um Chris very publicly say like we're Chris wasn't happy with me after that happened, by the way. Um, so uh-huh. there was like a period of time where he, he was like, I mean, we were friends, but it was like, hey, hey, you know, like <laughs> there was a mm-hmm. there was like a tension that, that existed for a second. And then um, there was a point where Chris would say stuff like, I don't know if I ever want to play in a band again. You know, like he's like that. Mm-hmm. That was it. You know, that was my good try. The Broadway's was like, you know, it's never it's we went into that knowing we were going to be the best band in the world. If that's going to fail, um, then fuck it. I'm done with this kind of right. And, uh, uh-huh. yeah. And I did not disbelieve him. You know, I, I thought, I thought like maybe that's it for Chris McCoggan as uh, somebody in bands. Mm-hmm. Also up to that point, he'd worked very hard in like tricky Dick, the Broadway's and, you know, and he'd grown so much as a singer and a guitar player and everything. And like, he'd never really mm-hmm. encountered any success, you know? And so, mm-hmm. and so like at that point, it's like, yeah, no, I get it, man. You've, <laughs> you put in your time and like yeah. this, 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 you know, like, so, and I just, I still had that, um, well, I say I still had it. It was bought for me about the Broadways. Um, I still had that digital eight track that um, the guy from Capitol Records bought me. Uh-huh. Um, and so I just started recording country songs, right? And um, and yeah, and I started start going. Around, I I was probably twenty one at the time. I was going to Northwestern. And I was like a little bit dealing with the issue of like having had been in a band and having had been having had been a professional touring musician, even in the Broadways mm-hmm. or whatever. And then all of a sudden just mm-hmm. being like a college student, you know. So I was yeah. uh I was writing a lot of songs. And they were all kind of stupid. I mean, some of those songs at the end of um, Ghost Stories or some of the songs, I, like Old Mexico Way, I wrote it this time. Yeah. Um, Heaven Help Me, mm-hmm. I wrote it this time. Um, but um, I didn't really know what the fuck was going on. Um, and, uh, you know, Chris wasn't really playing music. I had, like, become friends with this guy. I used to go to... Um, this is a little fucked up, but whatever. It's it's fine. I used to go to to uh, mm. to gay bars when I was like young because mm-hmm. there'd be people that would buy me drinks there because I had no money, and um, uh-huh. and it was also remarkably easy to meet girls at gay bars because you could, yeah, you know, because like they everybody there wasn't a, wasn't a fucking total creep to them. So that's like you know, and, mm-hmm. and if you maintained that level of being cool and not being a total creep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh-huh. then all of a sudden they're like, you know, why why is it that everyone here is, you know, gotta be gay? And then you're like, I'm not gay. And then they're like, 
oh, I had already decided that there was no chance I could ever like make out with you, but now you're telling me I can. Like I, you know, I uh-huh. already put you on a pedestal very, very much uh, above what you deserve. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> um, and I mean. I don't know. I never lied to anyone and said I was gay or anything like that. You know, like I, uh, right. 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 Like, I don't want this to sound like I was like doing some sort of creepy pickup artist thing, but it just was like, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I went to, uh, I feel like I, I think that there are a million stories of, I used to go to a coffee shop. I had, uh, I had no, no reason to go all the way to this coffee shop. Uh, and, and I went there to flirt and I was, it wasn't like I said, like I live around the corner, but I wasn't, I was making it, it, it seemed, I think more like I was not just going to that coffee shop to like flirt with this person that it was more of like, you know, it was close by and like it would make sense that I would come in there and that we we had a rapport. You, you know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, all I know is that whenever I went to those bars, I always had a good time. I always met interesting people and people would like buy me drinks. Again, I never like told anybody I was anything I wasn't, you know what I mean? Um, and, uh, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. fucking, and you know, sometimes I get to make out with women that were uh, very attractive. And so that was fun too. Um, you know, and then, mm-hmm. so, I developed like a pretty weird circle of friends at that point. And like, uh, keep in mind again, I grew up in boys town. So this was all like, sort of like in my zone, like my childhood zone and like very much mm-hmm. my, in my comfort zone as well, you know? To, mm-hmm. And, um, I ended up being, uh, becoming friends with this dude whose name I don't remember at all. I want to, but he was the executive music producer for the Jenny Jones show. And, um, Oh, and uh, and suddenly I was like, he was like, invited me over to his house, and he'd be like, yeah, just come over, and he'd have like a double wide lot in Wicker Park, which was like newly, you know, refurbished, and you'd go in, and it was like the coolest fucking party you've ever seen. Um, if you're okay with the fact that it was all men, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was like. She was like, I mean, every room was like kind of themed and there was like great hors d'oeuvres, people walking around with like, um, like silver tray, like dudes that are just ripped in go-go shorts walking around with trays of like pills <laughs> or trays, trays with lines cut out on them. And you're like, um, cocaine or ecstasy, sir. You know, and like, <laughs> uh, like crazy, crazy fucking weird parties uh-huh. that this guy would throw. And then he took me to a meeting down at Jenny Jones and had me like play my acoustic guitar for her. And I was like, I'm going to be a country star, you what? know? Yeah. And, uh, uh-huh. yeah. And, um, I was like, yeah, this is the way it works. Um, you know, <laughs> plucked out of a gay yeah. bar in my mid twenties in the middle of one of the biggest metropolises in America. Um, and uh-huh. you know, straight through the Jenny Jones show to Nashville, you know, that, that, that's how, that's how yeah. this, <laughs> you know, so, uh, yeah. Could you, could I just get like, uh, you know, like a tumbler of tequila and two benzodiazepines and Jenny. Yeah. Here's this song. It's called old Mexico way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, you know, so I think there was a point where that delusion kind of wore off like really hard, you know, and it was yeah. real like 
sober dawn kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was coming home from Northwestern. I think, you know, I always say that. I always remember it as I was coming home from school. But I was on a bus and I didn't take the bus. Um, so who cares? I was on a bus. It was, and I was writing. And I was like, I'm just going to write a song. And it was a song of like abject frustration and like mm-hmm. sadness and like just disappointment with myself. You know, I got home, yeah. I read the words. I was like, no, this is something really different here. This is a, this is its own kind of thing. And then I, so I put it together and, um, that was uh, Evening of Extraordinary Circumstance. That was the first Lawrence Armstrong, right? And um, yeah. and I was like, I hadn't written a punk song in a long time at this point. I'd been trying to be Jenny Jones' country music breakout star, mm-hmm. um, you know? And I wrote that song and I was like, holy shit. Now I see. Now I see what I should have been doing in the Broadways. I mean, it's probably probably a good years past, maybe. You know, I mean, I I, I, I seem to recall yeah. there being some time passing there. So I kind of all of a sudden knew what I wanted to do, and I all of a sudden was like free of the shackles of the Broadways and free of the shackles of the idea of hyper political stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and I was like. Oh, I see what I want to do. I want to do this like humanist sort of take on political um punk rock, you know? And um Yeah. And so I ended up um I went to Lounge Axe with Matt Skiba and uh-huh. I can't remember who the fuck we were watching, but we were seated. And he was like, so you going to get into another band? And I'm like, yeah, I just wrote a song. And I got an idea for a band. He's like, what are you going to call the band? And I was like, I'm thinking I want to call it the Lawrence Arms. And he's like, that's a fucking badass name, dude. That's dope. Yeah, you should call yeah. it that. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go secure that email address right now. So to this day, my email address is lawrencearms at hotmail. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. but, but so so then I just sort of like with these like sort of like new exciting things on the horizon like a new style a new like song it was like a flagship song to me um, and a potential band name um, you know that like my one of my v- admittedly very excitable friends who likes pretty much everything uh <laughs> I said was good. Um, yeah, um, I, I was. Like, he likes everything, but the he's he's got a he's got a few um he's got a few shining examples of like where his his things that he likes things, work out. Things that he really likes, yeah, um, yeah, um, that's true. But uh, so I, I I ended up writing three three more songs, and those songs were um, Kevin Costner's Casino. Guided Tour of Chicago. And both of those were like mm-hmm. pretty political songs in their own right. Um, but 
you know, I, I still was like falling into the trope of, of the Broadways in terms of like wanting to make it personal and not wanting, but not wanting to veer into like the overt political sphere as much, even though those songs mm-hmm. kind of do. I mean, I kind of, I kind of step in my own theory there, but you know, like I think, I think the, I think the, like the, you know, first steps for the fish on land are, are evident in those songs. Right. Um, so to speak, yeah, in terms totally. of evolution, and then, and then the, the the fourth song was "18 Inches," which is the last song mm-hmm. on uh, "Guided Tour of Chicago," which uh, is not political at all. That's more in the in the same vibe of yeah. the of um, evening of extraordinary circumstance. And so, once I've got these songs, and I'm sitting there listening to them. And basically, I'm envisioning like what the Lawrence Arms is now. You know, like I was like, this is sure. this yeah. is like mm-hmm. the punk band that I've always wanted to be in. Like, finally, I've figured out this thing that I'm interested in. You know, that like, mm-hmm. um, where what we talked about before, like, where I'm writing the kinds of songs I want to hear, right? And um, yeah, and yeah, never mind that. Like, I was still years away from actually being able to do that. Um, at the time, mm-hmm. I was like, fuck, I, like, I just knew this road led to there. You know what I mean? Um, like, yeah. like, like the, like, it was like, I was finally on the highway where like, I could see it go all the way to the horizon, you know? And, um, mm-hmm. and so I fucking call up Neil Hennessy from a payphone in the Northwestern Student Union, I had his number written down on a piece of paper. And I had just heard from Tim McGrath because, oh, because Tim McGrath had come over to see if we should start a band together, um, he and I. Uh-huh. And um, I got too drunk and passed out on the bed while he was there. So um, I think he said, no, I'll start Rise Against instead and uh, go on <laughs> to be incredibly <laughs> successful. But... Uh, <laughs> Is there so, anything that you haven't walked out on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I know. It's really. Well, I mean, you know, I'm just like, I don't know that I'm good enough to do most of these other things. Like, it, it, whatever. I mean, it's like, uh, I understand, but like, I think I'm only appealing on like a surface level. It's like the actual um, dealing with me process is probably not nearly as cool. Um, but anyway, the, uh, the, the um i had neil's number because tim had said like because i was like who's gonna play drums for us tim in our band that i'm about to fucking break up by drinking this bottle of mad dog and passing out on the bed while you're here (laughs) showing me songs um you know who's a brilliant drummer neil neil hennessy yeah the guitar he's a great guitar player he's a better drummer than he is guitar player and I'm like, that's really saying something because he's a really amazing guitar player. So I call Neil with this information uh-huh. in my head that Neil doesn't even know that I know. And mm-hmm. uh, and I get his Tim answer. probably doesn't even know that you know either because he passed <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I call Neil and I get his answering machine. And I said something like, Hey Neil, it's Brendan. Um, 
You should really call me back. I'm, I'm going to change your life. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was meant tongue in cheek, completely, you know. Right, right. <laughs> and he 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 could hear it in there. He, like when he called me back, he's like, "You're changing my life, huh?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, life's gonna be changed." Want to <laughs> play drums in a band? <laughs> you know, like it was. It was obviously like just a goof, but um, it's funny because he's brought that up in interviews since, and he's like, "Uh huh." Motherfucker called me up and said he was going to change my life. I had no idea that he meant it. Uh huh. Uh huh. I had no idea that he would like both do that positively and then also like make me deal with him the entire time in ways that make me want to pull my fucking hair out. I changed his life by not only helping him. And I form a rock and roll organization that could travel the world and make money doing it. But also, I shortened his mm-hmm. life by many years. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I gave um, him. I gave him his running shoes. They're they're made of concrete, but I gave them to him. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, no. All I, all I again. All I did is um, was call him and then be like, "Hey, dude, you want to start a band?" Um, and he said, sure. And he said, that he, you know, with the place where Killing Tree practiced um, was his house um, where he and Tim Mackrath lived. And that was um, mm-hmm. at Whipple and Montrose, which is actually very close to where I live now. Um, and um, yeah, close to where we uh, got uh, coffee, I think, um, in January when I said, uh, I think I would like to change your life. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's at the Nighthawk. Yeah, that's that's not far from there either. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but then, um, so Chris was like seeing me like walk out with my guitar and shit, and he's like, "Where are you going?" And I was like. Oh, me and Neil are gonna start a. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna jam on these songs I wrote. Um, and I think that at this point, Chris, I probably don't remember this right because I can't imagine this being the case. But um, the way I remember it, and I think it will make for a better story anyway, so I'll tell it this way: is uh-huh. that at that point, I Chris was still like hadn't really like given any indication that he wanted to be in a band anymore, you know, or, or that he gave a shit about like my stupid shenanigans with the people from Jenny Jones and all my country music and stuff like that. Although in fairness Mm -hmm. with, with the country songs, he would sit around, we'd make um, like hooting and hollering and bottle clinking noises in the background to make it sound like it was like being, being recorded live in a saloon and stuff like that. And he would do that shit with me. And um, Mm -hmm. so like, yeah, I mean, you know, me and Chris are always going to be like creative partners. I think even like through the rage, it's like, yeah. hey, you want to like get drunk and hoot and holler with me behind this track? It's like, uh-huh. yes, yes, I do. I absolutely do. <laughs> you know, so, um, so the way I remember it is was, a hootin' nanny. <laughs> yeah, and so the the way the way I remember it was uh, that I was like, yeah, I've like got these songs and they're like a little bit different. 
and I played it for Chris. And I was like, do you want to come down and just like fucking play? Or maybe it wasn't quite there yet, you know? Uh-huh. But Chris didn't, Chris didn't go. And um, so we get, I get over to Neil's house and we play these four songs. We play, I'm playing guitar and um, Neil's playing drums, which is very odd because Neil, I knew as a guitar player, Neil knew me as a bass player. So it was like a uh-huh. whole kind of like wild setup. And um, we get through the four songs. And I think we were both like, wow, this is really cool. Like, uh, mm-hmm. this is a lot neater than I thought it was going to be. Um, mm-hmm. What we should really do is get somebody else in here so we can, like, kind of jam the shit out, like, full band style, um, you know? And um, And I was like, I bet Chris would come over here. Um, but with the understanding that like, this is just a thing that we do for fun. Like this isn't a real band, you know, like, let's just have fun Mm -hmm. with this. You know, this is just, it's just art. Right. And, uh, you know, Neil was like, yeah, for sure. Totally. That's how I feel about this anyway. You know, I've got Baxter. I've got, he had all sorts of things going on at that time. I can't remember. He was in a band called Gaetti. Um, like um, Gary Gaetti? Yes. Wow. Third baseman Gary Gaetti. Good hardcore band name, right? Yeah. Wow. One of the mm. um, one of the great St. Louis Cardinals and Chicago Cubs exchanges when the Cubs mm-hmm. got Gary Gaetti, and you know, I think uh, a few years later we gave it back by giving the Cardinals Ryan Terrio, um, but. Anyway, Neil, um, he was playing in bands. Uh, What else was he doing? Was he in school like you? Was he working? He worked at a um, at a place. He dispatched trucks, um, like from like a switchboard. So Uh he his job would like start at like this is wrong, but like you'll I mean you'll get the idea. He would he would work from like three forty five a.m to 10 30 a.m mm-hmm. and then he'd be getting off work and he'd call me and be like hey want to get breakfast you know <laughs> and then uh yeah you know um and and so so his work was always at a time when nothing else was going on um and uh so neil and i hung out like just all the fucking time all of a sudden um but before that whole thing started going down I got home and I was like, Chris, this shit actually turned out pretty cool. Um, do you think you'd maybe want to come down? And he was like, eh, you know, I don't want to do anything too serious. And I was like, this isn't serious. This is me playing guitar and Neil playing drums, dude. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it, this is this is nothing like, you know, just fucking bring my bass or whatever. And like, just like, let's jam. Here's the songs. And he's like, I seem to recall him being like especially with evening of extraordinary circumstance being like, Oh, this is actually pretty cool. You know? Uh And, uh, but he was very, very aloof about the whole thing. I think the idea of like being another band with me, cause I just blown up this band, you know, like I, meaning the Broadways. Um, Mm -hmm. and by blown up, I mean like 
walked out of you know uh just yeah. to be to be perfectly clear uh <laughs> um <laughs> that that uh that he he was like you know this does sound cool sounds pretty cool man yeah i get mm-hmm. it you know and mm-hmm. and we went down the next time to practice at Neil's, and i remember being like maybe the next day there was a certain point in the day where I think Chris kind of broke a little bit and was like, damn, that was cool. Right. And and it was like, at that yeah. point, I think I was like, and maybe I, maybe I didn't say this. Maybe Chris said this, maybe Neil said this, but it was that point where Chris kind of like, like just cracked the tiniest smile. Like, Oh, this shit's actually pretty mm-hmm. cool. And uh-huh. it was like, yo, so maybe the one of us that plays guitar well should play the guitar, and the one of us that plays bass should play bass. What do you think about that? And then at that point, we just switched. And <laughs> so we had one practice where I was the guitar player and Chris was the bass player. And then as soon as uh-huh. Chris was, like, on board for it, all of a sudden, like, just, you know, mm-hmm. again, like, one little smile or something like that, and it was like, oh, you're... You feel it. You feel what's going on here. Then it was like, yeah. yeah, let's let's do our actual jobs because it's like as long as he's playing the bass, the band's not a serious thing at all. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like like that. That's that's he's he's a he's a guitar player. He's not a bass player. He was filling in on bass in the stupid basement project that I was starting with the guitar player of Baxter who was playing drums. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. But the second we switched, all of a sudden it was like all right, next week, let's record these four songs. And so we demoed the four songs. Neil already had like this preternatural sense of how to like work a mixing board and stuff like that. And we used my, uh, my Roland VS 880 that I had been lured to sign the Broadway's to Capitol records with, which uh-huh. I can't say enough. I, that, that will never stop being a funny sentence. It's dope. You stuck it to, not that dude because he was genuine, but you stuck it to his fucking uh, enterprise that he was a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we definitely did, um, and it was their fault for trying to sign a fucking radical anarchist fucking <laughs> punk band. You know, like like a, <laughs> like it's just like it, you know what? There's literally, I mean, right now the Lawrence arms are on what's probably technically a major label, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I see nothing wrong with that shit at all, but mm-hmm. like to come at the broadways with this, like, Hey, would you like to work for corporate America? It's like the subtext, which isn't even really that hidden is like, we don't believe you have any fucking scruples whatsoever. And we're here to throw money at you until we prove ourselves correct, you know? Yeah. And, and like, and so it's like, go ahead, start throwing, <laughs> start throwing that money at me. It's, yeah. 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 It's that like that rock and roll, like that rock and roll, like, oh yeah, sure. You want to buy me dinner? <laughs> cool. <laughs> Don't mind if I'm a total dick the whole time. Thanks. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, dude, that shit. Mike Park used to show up at like fucking 
thousand dollar plate sushi dinners in japan when lesson jake was getting courted and he'd just be like hey uh-huh. just happened to be in the neighborhood can i sit down <laughs> you know? and like and every and every time that we'd ever i mean i think i've said this on this podcast before but like every time that like we get something we'd like have to ship something to uh-huh. like, to any of those major labels that were like courting um the very first thing we do is call Mike Park and give him all the like account information. You know, dude, driving <laughs> fucking forty four on the interstate and on the off ramp and on the street that they that he pulls yeah. on to. That yeah. is the that is Mike that is the Mike Park story that I think I will remember forever. What I think of Mike Park, oh, yeah, I I'll remember forever too. It just like made my butthole clinch up just to think about it now. I was just like, ah! <laughs> Sitting shotgun in his weird little car, just fucking, <laughs> fucking pooting along on the highway, and then suddenly like flying through neighborhoods with kids on him. It's just like, oh my god! <laughs> but uh, <laughs> dude, but but yeah, we um we recorded the first four songs, and again, those were evening of extraordinary circumstance guided tour chicago kevin costner's casino and 18 inches and um and it it was just we felt really good about what we were doing and we felt really good about making a music that was just for us you know Mm -hmm. um not being concerned about like ever putting it out there not being concerned about ever having any popularity not being concerned about even the vaguest notion of pandering to anyone. And it, and it became like, in that way, like a lot of bands talk about like, Oh, we didn't have any like goals when we started, you know? And like, I know we talk uh-huh. about this a lot in interviews, but what I'm saying here is like, it wasn't just that we didn't have any goals. Like we were just lazy kids sitting around. It was mm-hmm. like, we actively had no goals. You know, yep. that had to be part of the formula of what we were going into this with was like, mm-hmm. if we're going to do this, it has to be just for fun. It has to be with the idea that we'll never fucking get out of this basement, you know, or else what the fuck is the point? Because I think mm-hmm. we were all like kind of burned on like long, boring tours that for nobody and... uh Waka waka mm-hmm. waka. Turns out, guys, just give it a year. Uh, he'll be on a lot of longboard tours for nobody. But um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it it was um, it was just the idea was just like to just really make things just for us, and that all of a sudden, once it was like set up, the relationship between the three of us became that gang relationship i was talking about with slapstick at first like mm-hmm. you know like where where we where it was just like i was rolling with one of those two guys all the time you know yeah. and yeah if it wasn't me and chris or me and neil it was chris and neil you know like like there was uh-huh. always it was and, and it was like you know i'd call them from the payphone at school and i'd fucking like they'd they just like uh, uh, Neil would sleep over like you know four nights in a row, uh, you uh-huh. know, just on the couch at the Lawrence Arms building, um, and like it was a 
it was just really freeing and fun. And then like, you know, like we'd write, I'd write cause I wrote the first record mostly except for L and L, which is the last song that we wrote for the record. Um, and I just write a song and then we'd go record it. I remember, you know, I was listening to the record yesterday in order to, um, kind of know what I was talking about. And there's a lot of interesting stuff. Like when we do the track by track that I can get into, but like, I remember that like, I was sitting there and I had like the, um, the beginning of, uh, take one down and pass it around where it's like mm-hmm. 100 bottles of beer on the floor, a hundred bottles yeah. of beer. Right. And it was like, that was yeah. the whole thing on that record. And it's like, it was like, so the beginning of what would become like, I think our thing is like, take uh-huh. a thing that is like established and then just change like one word and change like what it what it's all about, right? Yeah, like a hundred bottles right. of beer on the wall is the song, right? And that's uh-huh. a very different thing than a hundred bottles of beer on the floor, you know. And like mm-hmm. these are the people in your neighborhood. That was like an old Mister Rogers or uh, Sesame Street thing, you yeah. know. Um, Evening and- of extraordinary circumstances, and it's just you eating potato chips. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So we were like coming to grips with all this stuff and like sort of figuring out this proto sense of humor, like this, like sort of really dry irony that was like sort of supposed to be welcoming as well, you know? And um, uh-huh. also like kind of smart and kind of stupid and kind of really comfortable being either one. Um, mm-hmm. But I remember I had that beginning of that song and I was like, I think this is really cool. And then Neil's like, you know what? It would be cool. I've been working on this intro thing. Do you think it would work with this? Is that mm-hmm. and I was listening to that the other day mm-hmm. and what struck me was like first of all, that execution on that is so insane. Like, you know, Chris is just like on his way to being like yeah. the master that he is like now oh, at that point. Yeah. And then but also that I remember being like yeah, I'm not a good enough bass player to play anything um, uh-huh. during this. <laughs> so that's why it's just drums and fucking guitar. I was like, <laughs> no, no, I did, like seriously, if I touch the bass, yeah. I'll just fuck that up. It's just too, it's too cool. Yeah, like that's you know that's where we were at that time, and that seemed like a totally fine idea, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, um, I mean, I don't know how much like further that I, I, I should go on the uh, on this. As far as like chronology goes, um, you know, I think we're like pretty much at the point where we want to be. But I, I think there's a lot that's going on like within that is still super interesting to me. Like it it really struck me what you just said about the description of the Lawrence Arms and this, um, you know, this meta irony that is both like silly and serious and cynical and hopeful uh that's kind of what the simpsons is that's kind of what like so much of of postmodernism uh during that time really is where it's just like you can take from anything uh nothing is sacred which means you can fuck with it all as much as you want um the tribute is inherent in there that's so interesting, man. 
I've never really thought about it in those in those regards, but it's like, yeah, I mean, if there's like, if there's two things that I constantly would point to and say that was like have influenced my life. It's like mm-hmm. what the Beastie Boys and the Simpsons, right? And like they're yeah. both, they both are that in spades. Like what you just described mm-hmm. was those two things. Um, and yeah. you also like you were describing the Lawrence Arms, but it was like. Yeah, of course. It makes sense. I just yeah, described where, 1998. Yeah. Where if the Simpsons was a band and ran Benjamin Button style from modern episodes to old episodes. Because, <gasps> you know, we're just getting better, baby. Yeah, I think a uh, great topic that we could uh, dive into on the Patreon is, um, you know, my semblance of understanding uh, the Simpsons and all things in that sense is uh that david foster wallace essay about tv so we yeah. could uh we could dive in on that one big time um but hey i i'm sorry i'm talking too much as i always do but you know neil um you met um did you meet him through tim like how well did you know him beforehand i met neil um at a show it's a very interesting show actually mm-hmm it was um, Baxter. This was in Arlington Heights, VFW Hall. Mm-hmm. It was Broadway's were headlining. Mm-hmm. Baxter was opening and playing between us was the Alkaline Trio. And um, it was... Fuck off, man. All right, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Arlington and, Heights, VFW Hall. Yeah, and so we were loading in, and Baxter was already on the stage. And I remember turning to Chris and Dan and Rob. Like, we looked at Baxter, and Tim had this huge fucking afro at the time. Um, And I turned to those guys, and I go, mark my words, that motherfucker right there is going to be famous as shit someday um like 10 seconds upon seeing him for the first time and wow. like and i'm wrong about a lot of things and i misremember a lot of things and i give myself more credit than i deserve a lot of times but every single one of those guys remembers that moment because it was just so weird of a thing to say i think mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. like and also because it came true <laughs> like yeah. i think that that, that doesn't hurt. Wow. Uh, but yeah, I was like, like we hadn't even gotten to the part where we lifted the amps over the cables that ran to the stage. By the time I like stopped everyone, and was like, that guy's going to be fucking famous as shit one day. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I think Dan was like, you know, tell us more about your boyfriend with the Afro over there. And I was like, yeah, no, <laughs> fair enough. <yeah." laughs> so of course, Neil and I, um, Neil is also one of my best friends, but he's he's somebody who the listening audience, the like, um, <laughs> I would say that the 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 thing that most Lawrence Arms fans know about Neil um, and about his personality, other than what they glean from One Hundred Six South, is that uh, there's always a chant of Hennessy. Hennessy, Hennessy, and we all just do it because we really like to see Neil smile. 
And mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, from all the years that I've spent hanging out with Neil, that's something that I always like to relate to other people is like, if you want to know Neil, um, it's in those moments because that's kind of just how he is, you know, he's just, oh, uh, he's just a bright and cheery homie. Neil is, um, he's one of the wildest fucking people you'll ever meet in your life. He's definitely one of the most talented, one of the smartest. Also just like decides he doesn't know certain things and refuses to learn them. And it's very weird. Like we have so many witnesses to him being like, I don't know the difference between any kinds of cheese back in the day and i'm like what do you uh-huh. mean he's like all cheese is the same to me i'm like so you don't know that like swiss is the white one with the holes and he's like no i'm like but now you do like now you know that because i just told you that you now know boom we've cracked the code like now you know one cheese and he's like no uh-huh. i don't like he just like a refusal to like you know it's just like things that aren't wow. important to him yeah. like he's just like i don't know you know, and uh, mm-hmm. which is a fascinating character trait, um, I would say, to put it mildly. Um, yeah, I can think of uh, a few times where that's a really bad thing. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you read the news, but yeah, yeah. for for him, it's like um, that's his like, <laughs> he doesn't he sees color. He might not see cheese. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you know, but the thing is, man. Um, I think that if you came up to him now, I was like, I heard about that whole thing where you don't know the difference between any kinds of cheese. He'd be like, oh, Brendan made that up. He always <laughs> makes that shit up. And, and which is like the most insane, like gaslighting situation on to me. Because like, how, how could I have possibly made that up? It seems way too crazy like I, I would never it, like is, is there a universe where I'm like uh oh you know it'd be funny as shit if I started this rumor that the drummer of my band didn't know the difference between different kinds of cheese like like it, it's just like but but he will say that like I, I think yeah and and I don't know like he could be rocking like the longest fucking Andy Kaufman esque con uh, that there is, mm-hmm. and in which case, good for him. And like maybe I will end up in a fucking asylum by the end of this whole thing, uh, based in no small part on things like this. But uh, you know, the one thing is he does know the difference in kinds of cheese. Like that's that's right. <laughs> he just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't know. I don't know. He's winding but, you uh, up. Clearly winded me up. I'm sweating now. Uh, <laughs> I love Dude, it. I know. I know that he's got at least one brother, but I. I don't know. I. That sounds like a sibling dynamic that I'm quite familiar with. Um, where it's every time you're wrong, it's just like I. I, I didn't say that. Or like you know, if you uh, if you host a a podcast and maybe you like sort of turn the dial up on your like sort of annoying personality side because you know it's a pretty good bit and hopefully uh-huh, uh-huh. uh people aren't taking it too seriously but yeah i i love that because it it just sounds like neil um 
really, really enjoys uh, making you sweat. And he's not even here right now. And he's making you but, sweat. <laughs> now, nah, yeah. And, and the thing is, like, I don't know how to describe this the right way. And I don't want to even for a second sound like I'm talking out of school about Neil Hennessy. Neil Hennessy is my musical life partner. I need him like I need air. Um, and I love him and I admire him so greatly. And in fact, the newest Lawrence Arms video um, mm-hmm. for that will come out on the day um, the record is released for a track on there called... Oh, July 17th? Yeah, exactly. That's correct. Yes, Skeleton Coast. Available wherever you uh, steal records. Um, and um, and in the episode notes to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we will... Um, we we have a video coming out that day. And um, I mean, I guess I shouldn't really say that. But don't tell anybody I said that. Um, but uh, <laughs> okay. um, but uh, it's a video. I wrote the treatment for it. Because, you know, mm-hmm. I went to film school and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so sometimes, like, when we get to the point where, like, at this point, we've had two videos. And um, I feel like we haven't contributed, like, as a, like, from our creative side into, like, uh-huh. the, the, the visual thing. And so I just, like, wrote up this treatment. And um, I was like, guys, I, I don't know if this is a waste of time. But this is my idea for a treatment for the video. Um I just wanted us to, you know, put in like our creative muscle on this side of this as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know how the video is going to turn out. It was shot yesterday, but I will just say it opens and closes with the Hennessy chant. Um, that's awesome. That's how much I love Neil is like when I'm like, how do, how do uh, we want to have a visual representation of, the biggest day in my musical life on in the last six years, I'm like, I want it to be about Neil. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah. fucking, what you gonna do? Man, you know, like, you, you get a brother like Neil, you gotta fucking, gotta recognize that's important. And the same with Chris, you know? And the same with yeah. Toby. And, uh, you know, like, that little, that little crew we have is very lucky. Oh, you, you, yeah? Talk about you, Tim? Yeah, yeah. You also, you're great. You're terrific. Yeah, yeah. No problem. Yes. Good, good. Thank you for the thumbs ups. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. I guess I should mention Dan Tinkler too because you know he's our sound hey, guy. And like I just on, mentioned, come on. Uh-huh. Yeah. I just mentioned right, every yeah, single that's, person that's cool. that travels yeah, yeah, with yeah. us except for Dan. Uh, okay, so well, it just, it, okay. just, <laughs> it, it, it just loses a little bit of value when you start adding, like, hangers-on. Dan Tickler is our sound guy. He, he uh-huh. travels with us. He is our traveling sound man. And, uh, yeah, sure, but he's not your best friend. Mm, he's... He... <laughs> yeah. Yes, he is. That's cool. Mm. Um, I, got, I got a lot of best friends, too. Um, but is one of them he... Dan Tinkler? Um uh maybe we should talk uh dan tinkler um patreon.com slash better sandwich uh that's a great way to become friends with me is to pledge on our patreon um i glean so much from you know that story of that practice too of the intuition that you talk about to this day of of you know you're the three of you just sharing a brain 
and knowing what the other is going to do without even discussing it. Those like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, moments mm-hmm. where you're on stage and you all stop at the same place that you've never stopped before. And to hear like you show these songs to Neil, you both get it. Chris comes yeah. over. He's he's reserved, but he cracks a smile. He gets it. And yeah. And and there you are. The Lawrence Arms. Yeah, yeah. And um Yeah, and again, it was like as soon as it kind of like came together like that, we were just a gang, you know, like it was like everything that had like all the weirdness, I think. You know, I I mean, obviously in the twenty years from this moment till now there's been weirdness between all three of us, you know, like there comes and goes mm-hmm. just as any sort of, as happens in any sort of relationship. But at that moment, like it was like, we all fucking put on leather vests with the same logo on the back. And we're like, all right, ride or die motherfuckers. Let's go. And it was like, it's a really exciting time to be in a band that no one had ever heard of because we'd never played a show because we never put out a record. And we were just like, Dude, we're just fucking killing it, but it's it's we're doing it for us, you know? And yep. uh like we're practicing in the basement while Tim Macras having his twenty first birthday party with a keg of root beer upstairs, you know? Uh uh-huh. <laughs> and you have written four songs that are all like, Whoa, these are these are something. Wonder if I can top it. Right. Wonder if the fifth one's going to be better than the fourth. I wonder if the sixth is going to be better than the fifth. Yeah, and uh yeah, and like the way you know, I listened to this record last night and I was like songs are all pretty good. I like that the quality's bad and like the band is very much not that good and uh yet, you know, in terms of like Mhm knowing our positions or whatever but like i don't mind this for like old old school punk rock like it i hear it i'm like yeah Mm -hmm. it sounds cool and there's there's a lot of there's a lot of cool things in there like there's a lot of uh a lot of references and stuff like that that i think people would be surprised at how much like when you think of like a great story ever told and you think of how like you know, laden with references, uh, real or fake, or like you hear something like Metropole, where it's like all entirely real stuff. Um, mm-hmm. How much that was already going on in this record? I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot, a lot in here. So it reminds me of um, listening to that first Goo Goo Dolls record, and then going a few years up to hold me up it's uh it's not a it's not a uh a dissimilar path that both of you walk first two albums Mm -hmm. it's like it's all in there it's coming together yeah yeah no it's a it's a crazy time but it's fun it's fun and you know like i can't uh express enough that the um that the cool thing about this is that this record didn't end up that good and it made us stay that hungry and like Mm -hmm. want to um, continue to, you know, push and hone our craft. And like, we never were able to get lazy 
And now it's mm-hmm. like in our work ethic, you know, I think all of us are just like, no, we have very high bullshit detectors and we have to keep working. Like if we don't stay hungry, fucking nobody wins, you know? And like, it's, uh, and I mean, a lot of that, I'd have to credit to the fact that this record I think is very good, but it's not very good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, mm-hmm. and like, that's, it's like, oh, we're on to something. This wasn't quite it, but what we're on to is it, you know, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yep. I, I don't it know. totally does. It totally does. You, um, you know that you're, that you have momentum going and it's like, you're starting down a path and you are living in the excitement of it. You're creating and you're creating to create better than what you just made and then you stop, you look in the mirror, and you say, it's not quite there, but it's still on the way. And as long as it's progress, as long as there's progress, as long as it's getting better, that yep. means that you're getting better. That's true. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, yeah, that was the exciting thing about this one. And, um, you know, once we fucking put all these songs once we had all these songs, we had 10 songs. We'd never played a show because we were never supposed to play a show. But Neil decided that we should go record an album and that album would end up being guided to of Chicago. Um, and we went out to Mike Niampa's, um studio um, in Hoffman States or Palatine, something like that. It was under a bank. I know I've talked about that before. And that was how we got to the point where we were going to record a Lawrence Arms record. And that was all before we'd ever played a show. And we will talk about that record next week. Um, We thank you all for joining us uh, here on Road to the Skeleton Coast and invite you to come back next week uh, for second part of this uh story of a guided tour of chicago and it was really really dope to sit and talk about um you know all of the energy that went into it and this wonderful piece of cosmos that happens when the three of you get together for the first time and then the magic starts we are also on the road to a seventh Lawrence Arms record. It's called Skeleton Coast. It is out in two weeks from when you're hearing this podcast. And we're excited excited to get to that, both um, you know, in the podcast itself and just in having a conversation um about you and and the um progress that you've made and continue to make, Brendan. Um it's continually an exciting journey to go down oh man you're you're too kind and um yeah thank you guys for listening it's pretty wild to talk about this one more than almost any of the others this is like a this one's like a a baby getting born a little bit more than um even like slapstick or something like that it's like when you know slapstick was a thing that i did for three years you know and um the Broadway was mm-hmm. something I did for two years, and the Lawrence Arms is something I've done for over twenty-one years. Uh, yeah. So, so the idea of like remembering 
this sort of origin story is like, uh, I mean, I don't know. I hope it's not too boring. I hope it's not too full of pregnant pauses and shit like that. Um, <laughs> but hey, I it, do a pretty good job of editing this. Stuff, yeah, you know? you got, <laughs> goddamn right. But uh, but yeah, no, I I do. I'm I'm really excited to talk about the record next week. It'll be fun. I'm excited too, and I'm excited to to be a part of it and to take part of it. And you know, stories like this are always important to remember and to remember it in terms of your own life and to you know remember that something simple as uh, going over to like play a few songs uh, with your friend's friend. Uh, can lead to something really really special and you know we um we're all we're all getting hit over the head pretty hard right now by a lot of fucking terrible shit in the world but i've been lucky enough to um stumble into something here with you brendan and uh and i'm really thankful for that and i just want to encourage everybody out there that's listening that all of this shit is is there and it's there to make happen and you can um you can do a lot for yourself and for your community just by putting yourself into new situations and having conversations and trying new things so that's something that uh i want all you to to take with you uh on the fourth of july uh when you say fuck this place but also like we gotta make this place better so um, this is our podcast. It's about the Lawrence Arms. It's about America, and it's about friendship. Right. <laughs> Please rate and subscribe. Uh, write us a review. Any review you want, write it. We're just happy that you're here. Um, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash bettersandwich. $7 a month. It gets you access to a really fun platform um, where Brendan and I can do some fun things uh, involving other musicians from this universe and also you know uh talk a little bit about uh yeah the beyond the infinite and the uh and the roots of all existence yeah um i've already got the guest for next week um and i think you guys will all be pleasantly uh surprised at how good i've become a booking guest on this thing um so yeah fucking take that you have a happy fourth of july don't blow off your fucking toe um don't buy the fucking rockets with trump's face on them and shit either uh just like be cool okay um it's a weird year to celebrate america it's a weird year to get together to do it um so you have a hot dog and be cool. love you guys we'll be back next week thanks bubbles it- where will you be in 10 years? No, sir.